Amen. Open your Bibles this morning, and I do hope you have your Bible with you. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 is where we're going to be to start this in just a few moments. And uh, we are in week three of our Reclaimed series. And so uh, go ahead and open up to John chapter 10. Uh, scroll there if you're on your device, uh, on your phone or tablet or something along those lines. And uh, we'll read in just a few moments from John chapter 10. Uh, I'm, I'm so thankful to be back with you. Uh, we were gone last Sunday on vacation from the week before that. And then Sunday we were on vacation uh, back to work this week. And uh, just such a great time to get away and to enjoy some time with family. Uh, we had a blessed opportunity to spend last weekend with our Word of Life missionaries, uh, Nathan and Stephanie Raish and their family. They live on the west side of Lansing, not real far, but on the west side there. And uh, we had a chance to spend Saturday and Sunday with them and just fellowship with them and just get to hang out with them. And just an amazing couple, amazing family. And so pray for the Raishes, again, our Word of Life missionaries that serve here and uh, all of eastern Michigan. If you're trying to think, well, what I pray for the Raishes about, uh, their region uh, so Nathan is the World Life Missionary for the region of considered Southeast Michigan. Now, when you think Southeast Michigan, I think Metro Detroit, kind of the suburb areas, maybe up in this way a little bit. Uh, his area that he covers is from uh, just west of Lansing all the way to, you know, all the way to the eastern seaboard there, or the lake, and then all the way north to Saginaw. So he covers everything from Detroit, Warren, all of that, all the way to Saginaw, and then from west side of Lansing all the way to over by the water. That's a large area for one missionary to cover. Uh, but they are just doing a great work. God is blessing in tremendous ways. They are starting their fourth school year. Uh, Word of Life goes on a school year calendar. So they're starting their fourth school year in this area. Uh, when they started three years ago, they had eight Word of Life clubs. So eight Word of Life clubs three years ago. Starting their fourth school year now, they're up to 20 clubs up to 20 clubs. And so we are just praising God that God is doing a great work through their lives. Um, and I'm just so thankful for that. Uh, I am thankful also. Uh, Pastor Greg uh, spoke last week and shared a, a message with you guys. Uh, I know it was a blessing to you. I know it was a blessing to me uh, to be reminded, are we being the church? Are we truly being the church? And there was an aspect in there. It was all really good. I love the emphasis on prayer as being the foundation for the church. Uh, the church was laid on the foundation of God's infilling and equipping and with prayer from his leadership, the apostles. But I love what was talked about in there about our roles in the church, that every single person has a different role that we're meant to carry out in the church. And I love the challenge there. Are we living out our role in the church? Are we doing and being what we can be in the church, using our gifts and our talents for God's glory? And so what an amazing message last week. I want to thank Pastor Greg for that. And I know it was a challenge to you. This morning, as I've already said, we're jumping back into our Reclaimed series. And uh, we covered two weeks already in this series. I would encourage you, you can go online, you can get our app, and you can go on the app, uh, North Goodland uh, BC in your app store, or northgoodland.org, you can get those messages on there. Uh, I'd encourage you to listen to those. We talked the first week about living a reclaimed life, what that looks like to be saved, to know Christ as Savior, put our faith and trust in Christ, and then the reclaimed life, the abundant life that flows out of that. Then we talked at Unity Fest a couple weeks ago about a reclaimed community, about reclaiming true community in the church. And we said that really among human beings on planet Earth, there should be no closer community than the body of Christ, than the church. Now, that we should be so close as a community that we can lean on each other and trust each other and communicate needs and we can look to each other for help and guidance and direction and prayer and love and support. And by the way, even accountability 
Um, I think a lot of churches strive for unity in their community of church, which is great. They want to make sure everybody feels like, hey, you're loved here, and you should because you are. But there are sometimes in the body of Christ, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we get a little off track, right? We stumble, we fall because we're human beings. And so one of the greatest blessings of being a church is not just to feel loved and encouraged in the sense that we always think it looks, But love and encouragement also comes through accountability with one another, where a brother in Christ can come to me and say, hey, I'm praying for you. How are you doing with this struggle that you shared you had with this sin situation? And and how can I help you along in this journey? So it's not just about, oh, lovey-dovey, mushy, you know, that kind of stuff, okay? Which I'm a guy, so we're not really into that kind of stuff usually, okay? I'm not a big Hallmark movie watcher. Just going to lay that out there. If you know me, you know that's the case, okay? Some people are already telling me. Somebody was just telling me this last week. I cannot wait for Christmas. Not for presents. Not for food. Because food is great at Christmas. Amen? Okay, a few of you have good families that can cook good food. Okay, the rest of you just need to, I don't know, just got to endure. Okay, so food is great at Christmas, okay? You know what's great about Christmas is what's right before Christmas? It's like you get your belly kind of ready, right? Like Thanksgiving is like the pregame meal. Like you're just getting ready for the big game come the end of December, okay? Because Christmas is amazing. You'll do Christmas parties for like two weeks. It's like oh, two weeks from Christmas. We're having a Christmas get-together. It's just an excuse to eat really fatty food. That's all we're really doing. But we're going to give a gift and call it a Christmas party, okay? And it's, just, it's growing. Pretty soon it's going to be like a week after Thanksgiving. We're having a Christmas party. So come have some cookies and some cake. It's going to be great. But this idea of just these holidays, and they said to me, they said, you know, the first thing they said was, I can't wait for Christmas because of the Hallmark movies. Anybody else, the big Christmas movie, Hallmark movies, you like those? Raise your hand. How many of you record them and then watch them after Christmas? How many husbands will leave the room when their wife turns it on? Raise your hand. Testify. Amen. Preach. Okay. Right? So I'm not talking about the lovey-dovey stuff that we think of sometimes. See, love is an amazing thing because it doesn't always look the same, right? It doesn't always look the same. Some of you love by giving a gift to someone or by serving someone or by your words or whatever. There's different forms it takes. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do for somebody in the church is to put our arm around them and say, man, I want to help you walk this out. This, what you're caught in right now is going to destroy you. It's destroying you. It's going to destroy your family. How can we come alongside and help you with this? That doesn't always feel loving because we don't like to be, you know, put on the spot. But it's, it's when we kind of that community, we can do that as a community. So we need to reclaim community as well. But this morning, as we get into our third week, I want to look at how we can and really must reclaim our testimony. Reclaim our testimony. To get us thinking along these lines uh, and kind of get our minds in the right spot to kind of hear what God has for us. I want to share a quote that I heard literally years and years ago. It might even been when I was in college. I have no idea who said it. I don't even know where I heard it for sure, probably chapel or something like that. But I heard this quote years ago, and it's always stuck with me. It's always resonated as true when it comes to our testimony as followers of Christ. And so, again, as someone who's put their faith and trust in Christ, that knows Christ as Savior, this is a statement that's always stuck out to me. A testimony takes a lifetime to create, but can be lost in a moment. A testimony takes a lifetime to create, but can be lost in a moment. This idea of this, what do people think of us? What do people know of us to be true? What is the, what is the representation we're giving out into the community around us? Not just the church, but even beyond these walls. 
What, when people look at you as a follower of Christ, we have to understand and you have to realize whether you think it's fair or not, it really doesn't matter because the Bible says it. When people look at you and they know you're a Christian, everything you say, do, reflects not on you only, but on your Savior. This is why people will walk away from church and walk away from Christ and walk away from the faith, not losing their salvation, but I mean walk away from practicing their faith, not because of anything God did, not because of anything Jesus Christ did, but because something a church did, something a group of human beings did. Because human beings that were flawed, that allowed sin to take root and get angry and cause division and gossip and attack each other, caused people to say, I'm done. I mean, if that's Christianity, I don't want nothing to do with it. And see, what's frustrating is that has nothing to do with Jesus, Right? has to do with people not realizing our testimony matters. Man, what did Paul say? The Apostle Paul said it so clear. He said, I don't want to do anything in my life that would mar the name of Christ. I don't want to do anything in my life that would make people think less of my Savior. And so for us today, as we walk this out, I want us to think about how can we reclaim our testimony as followers of Christ? How can we look at our own words, whether spoken or typed, by the way, How can we look at those things and say, what does this really reflect of my relationship with Christ? But before we even dive into that, let me say this, that no matter what you have done or in what way you have, quote, lost your testimony or your witness for Christ in a relationship, in a job, in an area of influence, there is grace. There is grace. I want you to say that with me. There is grace. Man, we have all blown it, by the way. We've all said something that we knew as soon as the words left our mouth, as soon as our lips finished forming the words, that was the wrong thing to say. That was not what God would have me to say. We've all blown it when it comes to our testimony. There is grace to forgive and grace to restore. See, it's not just forgiving you of that blunder, that failure, that sin. It's also the grace that says, now I can pick you up. And then I can use you for my glory. Pastor Greg spoke last week about the foundation of the church. And he shared that the apostle Peter stood up and looked at the crowd that was before him and connected with that crowd and began to preach a message that would connect with them right where they were. This was the apostle Peter, the one that blew it countless times in the gospels. The one that constantly said the wrong thing. The one that tried to cut off a guy's head, miss, and clip his ear. And this is the guy that God sovereignly says, oh yeah, you're the one that's going to stand and preach and 3,000 people will get saved. That makes sense. But see, this is the thing with God. It's not just grace to forgive, it's grace to restore. There is a paramount to understanding this in this area. You have to understand grace is huge. No one is perfect and we all fall short. Saying that, I hope we don't expect to fail. I hope we don't expect to fall short. We don't expect to just blow it. We don't go into our day saying, well, I'm going to sin anyway. I might as well start early. We don't do that, right? So we have to walk this balance. I'm striving for Christ-likeness, but I realize I'm not perfect. And if I fall, there is grace to pick me up. And I feel like so many churches, so many Christians struggle with that. They struggle with walking in the balance of that. It's almost like if you believe grace can pick you up and restore you, then it's okay to sin and do whatever you want. I've had conversations with people say, you know, as a Christian, you can sin and God doesn't care. 
I've had conversations with people like this. That a Christian can't actually sin, so do whatever you want. This is not like a teenager trying to get away with doing something they shouldn't do. This was a, an adult, 30, 40 years saved. Just saying, nope, nope, you can do whatever you want. Grace, 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 grace. Then you've got the other side that says, well, yeah, there's grace to save you, but you better make sure you walk this line and wear this and do this and don't listen to that and listen to this only. And man, you better and you better and you better and you better. I don't know why we can't live in the middle. I don't know why we can't say, but the Bible seems to suggest and teach pretty clearly that we're saved by grace, sustained by grace, kept by grace. We walk by grace. We don't expect to sin. We don't desire to sin. First John, do not sin. That's not our goal. But when we do fall in our testimony, God will pick us up. God will restore us because he is gracious. He is loving. Maybe you have another mindset in the area of our testimony. Maybe your issue is not, I've blown it before, God can never forgive me. Some of us struggle with that, by the way. Do you know why, and again, Pastor Greg alluded to this, do you know why it's the hardest people to witness to are those in your family, those closest to you? Because they know you. They know your oops. They know where you blew it. And so, so many people won't say a word because who am I? They're just going to bring this up. Listen, being a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect. Being a Christian doesn't mean you have it all figured out. Being a Christian means I'm a sinner who realized my sin, confessed my sin, and received Christ as Savior. That's what a Christian is. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. I put my faith and trust in Christ. So when you're witnessing your family members say, yeah, but wait, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 20 minutes ago, I don't know, whatever. I hope it's not that recent. I mean, it could be. But you said this, and a Christian shouldn't say that. Please don't get angry at that. Don't get defensive. Well, listen here, you sinner. You don't even know Jesus, okay? So let's just start, start there. No, no, no. You start by saying, you're right. You're right. That wasn't the best thing to say. That wasn't what I should have said. I shouldn't have done that. You're right. And I'm still thankful grace forgives me of that. And I'm hoping I'll learn to not do that again. See, it's not this defensive attack mode. It's you welcome it. Yeah, I'm not perfect. I don't know where this came from, that people think Christians are perfect. We serve a perfect Savior, but we are not perfect. So admit that. Own that. But maybe you're in a different area or mindset. Maybe when it comes to your testimony, you would say something like this, not outwardly in church because it's not very religious, but you sure think it because we all might think this at times. I don't care what anyone thinks of me apart from Christ. I don't care what anyone thinks of me apart from Christ. Now, this statement sounds spiritual and even carries a half-truth in the sense that we should be concerned more with what Christ thinks of us than what man thinks of us. But usually, in the life of a believer, it's used to justify sinful behavior when someone who loves us points it out. Usually, a Christian will say that statement when you're being... Again, that love we talked about, when you're sinning in some way with your words or your actions in some way that's not honoring Christ and a brother or sister or someone that loves you and cares for you come alongside and says, man, I'm, I'm praying for you. I see this in your life. I just want to help you with this. I struggle too. How can we work this out? Let me just help you. And you say, you know what? I don't care what you think because all I care about is what Jesus thinks. I don't need to worry about what man thinks. And we've got to be so careful there because listen, while yes, it's true, we should be more concerned with Christ's opinion of us as our Savior Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we should not care about our testimony before humanity, before other people. In fact, what did Jesus say? Let them see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
I mean, we, he even said, Jesus said, the world will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Love for the church is evidence that we are truly followers of Christ. That's stuff that people are seeing. So we need to be aware of that. And again, we just kind of live in either end of the spectrum. I want to dive back into the text in John chapter 10. I want to see how vital our testimony is in this life. John chapter 10 and verse 27. That was just the introduction, so hopefully you guys ain't got no crockpots on low. You know what I'm saying? Uh, okay. Actually, no, on high, because low is better. So yeah, I should... I don't cook in my house, so I don't really know what I'm talking about. I just know the crock pot, you put stuff in, and four or five hours later, magically, it's done, and there's food. It's just great. I don't know how it works. Okay, so John chapter 10, verse 27 says here, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let's ask God to speak to us through his word this morning. Father, in the reading of your word, we know that your word will never return void. That in just the proclaiming of your word and of your truth, you are working in people's lives right now. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to what you have for us. I pray, Lord, that we would know it's not about being perfect. It's about understanding there's grace to pick us up. But as we walk this life, Lord, as a follower of Christ, I pray that we'll be aware of these things for your glory and your praise. Father, help us not to be hard-hearted this morning. Help us to be welcoming to truth, welcoming to what you have for us, and to be able to be taught by you today. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. And I pray, Lord, that there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as the Lord and Savior that before they leave this room today, they would know that it's not about going to church. It's not about being baptized. It's not about being a good person. We've already covered we can't be a good person. We're not perfect. It's about believing that you came to this world over 2,000 years ago, died on the cross for our sins, were buried and rose again, and that putting our faith and trust in you alone will provide to us eternal life and salvation. I pray, Lord, if anyone here has not done that, they'll make that decision before they leave here today or maybe even now while we're praying. Father, you be glorified in all of this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus says here, among many other great truths, namely one of which is you cannot lose your salvation. Once you are saved and a follower of Christ, he says here that you are in his hand, an illustration there that he holds on to us. And then it says, and if you think that's not good enough, my hand is in the Father's hand, and no one can pluck you out of my Father's hand. And so there's this security, there's this confident hope that we have as a follower of Christ. But the key I want to focus in on is where he says that my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They follow me. What is the evidence that we are a sheep? According to that verse, you can answer out loud. What is the evidence that we are a sheep according to that verse? We hear his voice and we follow. Okay. Now, hearing his voice, we covered this a few weeks ago. This is dealing with the word of God, right? He says, if you're my disciples, my words will abide in you. This word, the word of God, the spoken word of God that is recorded for us in Scripture. We hear the word of God and we respond not with rejection, not with rebellion, not with disobedience. We respond with submission. We follow what he lays forth for us to do as a follower of Christ. Again, remember that we may stumble. We may not always follow perfectly the way we should. We may not always get it right the first time. But we have a desire to follow 
and the overall trajectory of our life is one as a follower of Christ. We are one with Christ through salvation, so our testimony or the evidence or proof provided by the existence or appearance of something, which is the definition of our testimony, our testimony is evidence or proof provided by the existence or appearance of something is that we are following Christ's example. What is the proof or the evidence that you are a follower of Christ? You, you see Christ's likeness in your life. And it's not that we manufacture it. It's really through submission. We hear his word. We're submissive to his word. He produces through us. It's when we get off track, when we start doing it our own way, that we mess up the plan. So how do we reclaim our testimony? How do we reclaim our testimony? How do we consciously make sure that we are in submission as a follower of Christ, that we are being aware of our words and our actions? The first question we have to ask ourselves, which is really the key, we asked ourselves some tough questions. The first question we have to ask ourselves is, do I really think about my testimony? Or do I really consciously think about my testimony? Do I really think about what I'm saying and how it reflects on the work or the person of Christ? The truth is, and I, this, this, may, this may step on a toe or two, so I've been praying all week, Lord, just you, you do it, okay? And this is not at any one person. If I just look randomly up at the projector on the ceiling, it's because I'm trying to make sure. It's, it's just, this has been something that's been on my heart and mind for years. And I see it in my own life at times, and I see it in the church in America today, and it just drives me crazy. Because, and again, I keep going back to what Pastor Greg said. When I read this book, and I read what the disciples of Christ looked like, and what they said, and by the way, the disciples weren't like walking around all day like, oh, hallelujah, brother, oh, praise the Lord, oh, hallelujah. Okay, sometimes you can go, I mean, that's great if that's your personality, but sometimes just eh, read it back a little bit, okay? It's like if you find a deal at Kroger, you don't need to jump up and down the aisle. Praise Jesus. Okay, it's okay. You found a deal. We're happy for you. Okay, God is good. But when you read this book, man, what do you see permeating the lives of these disciples? There's this Christ-likeness. How do they communicate with other people in the church and out of the church? Man, there was this amazing Christ-likeness. And they weren't perfect. They blew it. But when you read this book, does our testimony as a follower of Christ fit into this book, or would it be weird? Like I've heard an author say it, if you're reading the book of Acts, and you read all these stories, or the letters of Paul, talking about all these people that are serving in the church, and all of a sudden they come to your name, if they could take your life and testimony and stick it back into the Gospels, or back into the book of Acts, and someone reading it thousands of years later got to your story, would your life testimony seem like it fit, or would it seem weird compared to everyone else's? And if it seems weird compared to everyone else's, that's not their fault. That's something wrong in my life. So what's my testimony? And am I even aware of my testimony? We live in a day and age where you are really, culturally speaking, in one of two camps, if we're just broad generalizing. In our culture today, there's two predominant camps in our culture. There's either the offended by everything camp, or, don't laugh too hard there, or, the try to be as offensive as possible camp. Those are the two camps that I see just rising up, and the voice of the church should be in neither one. And here's what I mean, and I'll get to this in a minute, because some of you are like, oh, no, brother, Jesus was offensive. Yeah, we'll talk about that. There was a horrible tragedy in our country, these shootings that took place. What's the voice of the church 
supposed to be in that moment. Man, I get really irritated, and I'm not God. Praise, praise the Lord, I'm not God. Population would be real small. <laughs> uh, we've said this before. My zapping powers would be going through the roof. You cut me off in traffic, zap, you're gone, okay, if I was God. But this tragedy happens, and there's a cultural voice, right? There's these cultural voices that start coming out instantly. You start hearing these cultural voices, these norms that are now becoming just the standard responses to these things. Culturally outside the church, not the Christian voice, but the cultural, just human voice is usually one of two things, less gun control or more gun control. Fair? Two cultural voices in our country that you're hearing instantly, boom, 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 both sides. The Christian voice should be, man, let's pray for these people that were killed, their families. Let's rally around and serve them as a community. Let's pray for the family members of ones that committed these heinous acts. Let's talk about the gospel saving power from these kinds of things. Let's talk about the hope and security that we don't need to fear what goes on around us because we have a trust and a faith in Christ. We are the sons of God. We are not the prisoners of fear. See, I'm not saying you can't talk about those other two things. I'm not saying you can't have opinions about those other two things. You will and you should and you do. That's fine. But that shouldn't be the church voice. That shouldn't be the Christian's initial response to these things. There should be dialogue. Yes, there should be controversial things talked about. I'm fine with that. But man, our first response as followers of Christ should be, let's pray. Now let's get on our knees and pray, God bless these families, provide grace for them. I mean, serve them, honor them, put people around them to minister to them. God, let's be a church that helps people that are dealing with these kind of struggles before they get to the point of pulling a trigger and taking someone's life. May we come around them and show them the love of Christ. They know there's another option out there. I mean, there's so many things we can talk about, but I feel like so often we instantly go to either being offended by everything or as offensive as possible. And in my opinion, neither one is biblical. This is where some Christians will quote moments in Jesus' earthly ministry where Jesus offended the Jews or religious leaders as justification for them being basically a jerk to someone in person or in online. Just saying. Now, what do we do with that? Was Jesus offensive at times? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He said harsh things. He said very harsh things. But what was he harsh about? What, did, what really got Jesus angry in a righteous sense? What caused him to drive people out of the temple? The minute sin started robbing God of who he was in the temple, Jesus responded. He got angry about religious leaders misleading the people away from truth in Christ and away from the truth of God's word into religious obligation and all these things. He got angry when he saw sin ruining and reigning in people's lives. And every time he offended someone, it was when he pointed them back to himself and pointed them back to the gospel and tried to take it away from the religious leaders trying to make it about the law or about this or about that. So before we get all, like, I'm, I'm okay to do this because I can be a jerk and it's okay because Jesus was angry and offensive sometimes. The only thing the Bible says that we are going to offend people with and it's okay is the gospel. So when you preach the gospel to somebody that doesn't know Christ, it may be offensive to them. It's going to be a stumbling block, the Bible says. When you stand for Christ and live for Christ in a way that honors him, that's going to offend people. That's going to bother them. But that's different than some political ideology that we try to just get all worked up about and start fighting over, causing division and just silliness. I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about in the church. You can have those opinions. And again, this is not about 
one is right and one is wrong. I'm just saying the first response should be, man, if I'm going to offend people, let it be for Jesus. Not because of me wanting to just be a jerk to somebody and not even think about my testimony. And I know this hits a lot of people different ways. I'm just kind of telling you, this is, when I see what Jesus says in Scripture about follow him, I never saw Jesus stand up and rant and rave and cause an uproar against the Romans. He said, no, no, I just keep my mouth shut. He told the disciples, when you get taken before the Sanhedrin, the Holy Spirit will speak for you. We've got to be careful here that we are aware of our words and our actions. Again, let me say this, because now you're going the other way with me. You're like, oh, he's a, No. We cannot walk on eggshells fearful of man and what they think of us either. So hear me now. Again, you're like, wait a minute. What I'm saying is don't be offended by everything and don't be as offensive as possible. That's where I'm getting at. Don't walk on eggshells like afraid to say anything, but pray with wisdom and say, God, help me to say the things that would honor you here. Let me respond with a harsh word if it's needed here, but let it be for your glory and your praise. So I'm just, my point I'm saying is we need to look at our testimony and say, am I walking with Christ in a way that's following him, not fearful of man or intimidated by man, but I'm going to preach the gospel even if it offends. I'm going to live for Christ even if it offends because I'm more concerned about him than man. That's the idea that Paul talks about when he says don't be fearful of man. So we need to be careful here because we can go one way and we're so worried about offending, we never preach the gospel, we never live for Christ, or we go the other way, and we don't even think about people in our words and actions, and we just end up annihilating people with our words and actions. So how to think about my testimony in the right way. How to think about my testimony in the right way. In this world, we can and will disagree with things that go on in the culture. We will become frustrated and angry with sin in our world. We can and should speak truth in love. But the goal of speaking truth in love is that someone will come to know Christ as Savior. That someone will be made aware of his grace. We will also get frustrated with other believers and their immaturity in Christ. It's not just about sin in the world. It's about even immaturity in the church. So our testimony is really before two groups. There's the unsaved and the saved. Our testimony before the unsaved, these are those that don't know Christ. The ones we're called to share with. We cannot allow the frustration with sin to trick us into thinking the sinner is our enemy. We end up taking our frustrations out on the person instead of seeing the one caught in sin as the victim, just as we were before we knew Christ. Here's what I mean by victim. The Bible says that they're in bondage and don't even know it. So we see somebody caught in sin, living in sin, unaware of Christ's presence, unaware of Christ's grace. We don't go to them and attack the individual we speak truth and love and we make sure they understand this is the gospel that can save you from that. We have empathy and sympathy. We don't agree. We don't condone. We don't say it's fine what you're doing. No, 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 no. We never condone sin. But we got to be careful we don't attack the sinner, the person, the human being. We need to see and understand, man, before I knew Christ, I was caught in all that mess. I need to go in grace. I need to go humbly and show Christ to them, speaking truth in love, yes, but aware that that person is caught in something they might not even understand. What about the saved, those that know Christ? Another passage that jumped out to me in studying for this talk is Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. So Romans chapter 15, I'm going to read this just quickly. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. 
He says here, we then, in Romans chapter 15, verse 1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them, of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one towards another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. In verse 2, it talks about pleasing his neighbor for their edification. Now, again, this is not saying we accept whatever they do as right or good, but we must not be selfish. Paul spent almost the entire chapter of Romans 14, or Romans chapter 14, explaining that at times in this life which we have to restrain our liberty because it is better for the person that we're dealing with. We must learn from the example of Christ and let that be our example to how we walk with other believers. So the unsaved, how do we see them? We can get frustrated, disagree, not like what we see in sin and what sin's doing to our culture. I understand that and I'm there with you. But we've got to be careful that when we communicate with that person, that we don't attack the person, that we see them as that one caught in sin. But to the saved, what do we do? We put ourselves in the backseat and we, with God's grace, we try to say and do things that would build them up in Christ so that they may mature and grow in Christ. And it says in Romans 15, 1, those of you that are strong bear the infirmities of the weak. Paul's making a, a statement here of distinction in the church. There are some strong believers and there are some weak believers. It's not an insult. It's not derogatory. It's just a matter of fact. Some are more mature than others in Christ. Those that are more mature don't flaunt their maturity over the week as though they're better than them. They come alongside and say, how can we help you? How can we mature you? And it's not like, because I got this all figured out, you just need to listen to me. No, it's, man, I want to walk with you. We're all growing in this thing together. And so we've got to be careful there in our testimony before the world and believers. Quickly, uh, we've got communion this morning. I want to make sure we have enough time obviously, to enjoy that. So quickly here. The first question we have to ask is, am I even aware of my testimony? Am I even thinking of the words and the things that I'm doing and how it reflects on the person and work of Jesus Christ? Is what I'm saying and doing pointing people to Christ or actually away from Christ? But secondly, am I really following Christ? Am I really following Christ? This is one where we are so quick to answer with a yes, especially in church. But I'm not asking if you go to church or read the Bible occasionally, but are you a follower of Christ? This is a lifestyle, not a momentary religious experience. As a follower of Christ, am I striving by God's grace to live in a way that honors Christ in my words, my actions, and my reactions? See, sometimes it's not your action that's the tough part, is it? It's the reaction. Anyone with children can testify to this. You are so calm and chill. Your child says three or four things, and you are losing your mind. Especially if it's like the eighth time you've had the same question in five seconds. I just told you this. Why are you asking me again? We already had this conversation. What are you for? And they are for. So you just let it go, okay? You just learn a deal, okay? It's not even our actions. It's our reactions to situations. An amazing passage, one among many of the Apostle Paul, when he is leaving the Ephesian church. He is leaving the Ephesian church and he meets 
with the elders of the church. He tells them that his conscience is clear and has, he, and has said all that he needs to say. Jot it down for note's sake. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 24. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 24. Paul meets with this church leadership team. He's been there. He's established a church. He's strengthened the church, and he's moving on now. And he meets with them, and he's explaining to them how thankful he is, but also what his testimony was before them. Do you know what Paul's testimony was before them? He focuses not on his political affiliation or even his own comfort. He focuses on his faithfulness to preach the gospel, his faithfulness to be who he said he was before them. That's really who he was striving to be. So are you really a follower of Christ? Do you really know Christ as your Savior? And are you striving in a way that honors Christ in all these things? And again, it's not that we do it. We just allow him to do it through us. And if you would sit there and say to either one of these two questions, yes, I am a follower of Christ, but no, I really don't think about my testimony. Uh, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. I think about my testimony, and I think I blow it more often than, I not, than not. Or maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I don't really think I'm a follower of Christ. I haven't really put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Then my question to you is, will you make the appropriate changes and decisions by his grace? Are you willing to do that today? Are you and I actually willing to open up our minds to the word of God and allow the truth to lead us? Or are we so locked into thinking we are right that I don't have to change, that those out there, those ones, they need to change? We must choose to act differently once we have received knowledge. Application can be the hardest step, but it is the step we must take that shows to ourselves and even to others and to the Lord that we aren't just playing, paying him ear or lip service. So I want to encourage you this morning to take the challenge. We're going to close, but I want to encourage you to do this. Will you take the challenge? You say, what's the challenge? I want to challenge you and I to live our faith out before the world. One quote, and then we're going to close in prayer. Author Jim George, uh, in his book, A Man, After God's, uh, A Man After God's Heart, he says this, if, you if your life is to have not only a powerful impact in your own generation, but even a more powerful impact upon the generations to come, then you must take the next step. Share with others what you have learned and will learn in the weeks and months and years ahead. See, our testimony is not just about this generation. Our testimony is about the generations to come. It's not about just impacting this time. It's about impacting times to come. And it's not about creating a legacy for your children or my children or grandchildren or future generations that are just successful financially, just successful as far as socially. It's about creating a legacy, an impact for Christ that future generations of your family will come to know Christ because of the heritage you set forth. And how does that happen? It doesn't happen by accident. It happens when we share with others what we have learned, what we will learn in the weeks and months and years ahead. So my challenge just is this. Will you take the challenge? Will you decide today to allow God to use your life as a declaration of his grace and saving, his grace and his saving faith? So I'm going to ask you this. Would you bow your heads right there where you are? just with your heads bowed right there where you are, and I know that some of the things we touched on this morning can stir up emotions in people, different emotions from different people. I know we all have our own opinions and our own ideas on a lot of things that are going on in the world around us today. 
I know a lot of us have solutions that we think would make the most sense. And we get so frustrated when other people don't see those solutions for what they are. My prayer for you this morning is to put that aside for just a moment and to say, okay, as a follower of Christ, first and foremost, so we're not thinking of our political affiliation, we're not thinking about our, any other aspect of our identity in this world, but we're getting to the true identity that we really are, which is a follower of Christ in Christ. As a follower of Christ, am I aware of my testimony? Am I aware of the things that I communicate to others may or may not be pointing people to Christ? Am I just speaking and then thinking? Or am I praying for wisdom before I even speak? And every person's going to apply this differently. Every person's going to apply this somehow differently in their own life where they are. And that's fine. I just pray that you would open up your heart and mind to Christ today and let him speak to you. Father, we pray that as followers of Christ, if we know Christ is our Savior, that we'd be aware of our testimony. That we'd be aware that when we blow it, then when we say or do or react the wrong way, that we would realize there's grace to forgive, there's grace to restore, that we're not in bondage to those sins. We can, we're set free from that. But Lord, I pray that we would know your grace for ourselves, that we received your saving faith, that we've put our trust in you, and that through acceptance of Christ, we are set for heaven as our eternal home, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored in all things in our life. Father, help us to be aware of our testimony in this world. Father, the world does not need another church that says one thing on Sunday and lives a different way Monday through Saturday. The world doesn't need another church that preaches at people and doesn't love people. The church, this world needs a church of believers, imperfect as we may be, that go out into this world seeing those that don't know Christ not as the enemy, but as others that are still caught up in all this. So Father, I pray that you'd help us to take the challenge today. Take a challenge to, to be aware of my testimony. Take the challenge to, to step out and to live my faith out loud before the, the community that I'm in. And so Father, may you draw people to this decision today that we would honor you in all these things, Lord. And if there's someone here that feels that they've blown it in their testimony, either at home, in their marriage, in their friendships, whatever, Lord, pray they know there's grace. May they ask for forgiveness in those things, receive your grace, and move forward because you set us free. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As we have a short time of invitation, I want to give you a chance to respond to what God is doing in your life. If you want to take the challenge, it's as easy as this. Would you come and pray? Would you bend a knee and say, God, I want my testimony to be a reflection of your love, grace, and gospel. Would you come and pray this morning? If you want to come and pray, join us up front, maybe there in your seats as we sing. Respond to him this morning.